We welcome you to the media ministry of Denton Bible Church. Good evening. We are continuing our series on the Sermon on the Mount, looking at this idea of life in the kingdom. What does it mean to live in this tension uh, as citizens of the kingdom, as citizens of God's kingdom? What does it mean to live now while we await the return of Christ? So we're continuing on in Matthew 6, uh, in the passage that uh, Jared read earlier. Um, just a kind of a reminder for last week so that everybody's kind of caught up to date and, and with me on this discussion because last week's sermon flows directly into this week's sermon. Um, last week we looked at our important relationship to wealth. What is the proper um, responsibility, relationship, connection of the Christians following the Christian life and wealth? What should be the right attitude, the right approach? What's the right way to go about looking at wealth? And we talked about uh, some key words, some key concepts for each of those sections. The first was treasure and heart. Uh, where your treasure is reveals your heart, right? Where your treasure is, there your heart is also. Uh, looking at where are you storing up your treasures? Where are you investing? Is it seeking things here on earth? Or is it seeking to use those things for eternal purposes? Uh, then the next section, we looked at two other key words, eye and light. So just heart and treasure, eye and light. Is your eye healthy? Is it focused on the right things? Is it letting in the light? Um, and we talked about how a covetous eye will corrupt. Uh, and he ends that section talking about that if the darkness is in you, that how great is the darkness. So how is your eye? What are you looking at? What are you focusing on? Um, and then the final section, you can only have one master, the big summary, okay? Are you following God? Are you following wealth? And that phrase leads right into our uh, text today. Who is your master? What are you following? Um, and he switches slightly to a related topic of anxiety. And these are connected because where your hope is, what you're investing in, okay, um, will lead to anxiety. If you're seeking out things of the earth, if your focus is on wealth, stuff here and now, it's going to lead to anxiety because there's no hope there, okay? And so let's get into it. It's a pretty nice section that has a very clear structure. Um, Jesus opens up with a command, don't be anxious, just in case there's any... Uh, confusion on what we're going to talk about. Don't be anxious. Then he'll give two examples. First, looking at food and drink, then clothing, and then he goes back to the command. So if you missed it the first time, let me make it clear to you. Don't be anxious. And then he'll end with the summary. Well, what is the secret? How do you not be anxious? You seek God. Okay, you seek God. So that's the key. What are you seeking? What are you following? Okay, who's your master? It's falling right out of the previous section. So we're going to start with Matthew 6, verse 25, and walk through this first opening command. For this reason, I say to you, verse 25, uh, chapter 6, do not be worried about your life as to what you eat or what you will drink, nor for your body as to what you will put on is not life more than food and the body more than clothing. So here's his opening. Here's his basic line. And his uh, grammar teacher be very happy. You know, he tells you what he's going to tell you. Okay, he lays out his points here, um, clothing and food. Okay, so he, he's going to tell you, 
you know, tell you what he's going to tell you. He's going to tell you, and then he's going to tell you what he told you, right? So he's, it's a good, easy to follow structure. And if you notice, he starts out with a little phrase, for this reason, right? So if you see something like that, you know he's flowing out of the previous sentence for this reason. Well, what's the reason? All right, so if you look at the previous verse, what's the reason? Why is he telling them don't be anxious? Well, the reason literally because of the previous verse, which is your master. Okay, are you following God or are you following wealth? So that's going to lead to this section. You've got to look these together as one unit, okay? Um, for this reason, I say to you, do not be worried about your life. If you are being mastered by wealth, that leads to fear. Because what are you afraid of if your hope is in your wealth, in your houses, in your money, in your clothes? What happens to wealth here on earth? Or moth destroys, right? Rust and destroys. And it goes away, right? You're afraid of losing that. And so last week I gave you a literary example. Remember we talked about some different examples of people that were controlled by wealth. And I talked briefly about Macbeth and how the whole play is his slow descent into madness as he pursues um, earthly treasures. And what's interesting is in that play, once he gets what he wants, which is the kingdom of Scotland, the next section is about fear. Because once he has it, is that going to bring him satisfaction? No. So he's always concerned about losing it. And the very next section, Acts, Act 3, actually, of Macbeth, he talks about his fear that someone will take it from him. Specifically, his best friend, Banquo, his uh, compadre, his compatriot. And he is so concerned, he's so consumed by the pursuit of wealth that it immediately leads to anxiety. And that anxiety leads to him then killing his friend, driving other people out of the country. It leads to his wife going crazy and a slow descent into madness. If you're pursuing things of this earth, you won't be satisfied and you'll always be concerned. You're going to lose it because you will, right? If you're pursuing God, you won't lose that. You're his son, right? But if wealth is all of your consuming passions, you're going to constantly be in fear that it's going to leave. Someone will take it, all right? For this reason, okay, referring back to you cannot serve God and wealth, do not be worried about your life. He's going to use the word worry. Worry has, in the original context, two things. One is, is how we normally think of it, which is mental concern, you know, the, the, the stress of thinking about what might happen, what could happen, the fear that comes out of that. But worry also has an idea of working hard or striving after. Because you're going to do whatever it takes to hold on to that if you are anxious. And so both of those contexts, I think, apply here. What are you seeking? What are you putting your time and effort into? All right, don't worry. Don't stress, okay? Pursue God. Uh, don't be worried about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, 
Uh, we also see some other grammatical kind of cool things here, life and body, both are kind of related words, life being your, your lifetime, the time that you're here on earth, and then body being the physical body, both are important. Um, and so he's going to use both of those as different examples. For the life, you need food, right? You need sustenance. Okay, what happens if you stop eating? doesn't end well, right? And then the body, you need covering, you need cloth, you need protection. So he's going to use those as the two examples in discussing this issue of anxiety, okay? And the whole part of this is irony, the worry, the striving, that's us trying to take care of us. It's very self-centered. Instead, who should we be trusting to take care of us? God. Okay, God, and you see that that's a main theme through the Bible, right? God's people lacking trust of God. And so there's commands all through the Bible about no being anxious or the opposite, be courageous, stop fearing those things. Uh, one of the great examples is right before they go into the promised land, they're sitting there, Joshua's getting them ready. God's talking to Joshua. And uh, in Joshua 1, six through nine, we see like the opposite command, not, don't be anxious, but be courageous. So starting in verse six of Joshua one, you don't have to flip there, but just kind of listen along as I go. Be strong and courageous for you shall give this people possession of the land, which I swore to the fathers. Don't trust yourself, trust me. Be strong and courageous. Um, verse seven, only be strong and very courageous. So in case you missed it the first time, let me remind you, right? It's not about you and your ability. It's about God, he will protect you. Uh, be careful to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from the right and the left. The book of the law, verse 8, should not depart from your mouth, but you should meditate on it day and night. Verse 9, have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Does God have to tell us that over and over, over again? Our default is to always follow on, fall on our own ability our own desires, sinful desires, our own, you know, seeking things out of this earth. And so God has to remind us this over and over again. And we see this in this passage. Don't be anxious, all right? Then at the end, don't be anxious. Be courageous. Follow God. Trust me. Um, going back to Joshua, have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not tremble or be dismayed. Do not be anxious. Do not fear. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Does it matter if we lose our stuff here? Does it matter if the clothes fall apart or the house breaks down? No, okay, God is here. God is eternal. God protects you. God will be with you wherever you go. Then at the end of this verse, there's a little rhetorical phrase he used. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Why would you reduce your life to those things? That's sad. Isn't life more important than that? Aren't there more important things to being created in the image of God, following after him, being citizens of the kingdom, than stuff, than anxiety? Isn't there more to life than food? Now, for me, that's a struggle because I love food, <laughs> right? But there's, that's not what brings life. That is not the sum of what our lives are, okay? 
there is more to it than this. And this phrase, is not life more, he'll use that several times in this section. And it's a rhetorical phrase used by rabbis of the time to point out just how crazy that thought is. You've reduced life to material possessions? How sad. Shoot for something better than that. We have a bigger purpose than that, right? God has a bigger plan for you than that, than a really cool house or a special car or something of that nature or whatever other anxiety and fear you might have in this world. We are called for more than that. Isn't life more Right. So that's the opening. That's the first command. Don't be anxious. And then he lays out his two examples. So let's look at the first example, starting in verse 26. The first example, food, using the illustration of birds. Look at the birds of the air, verse 26. They do not sow, nor reap, nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth more than that? You see the Repetition of that phrase again. Isn't there more? Isn't it worth more? Are you not worth more than they? Um, look, so the, the, the start of that, he's really calling them to learn. Look at your surroundings. Learn from your surroundings. Do you not see how much more important you are than birds, okay? And the birds, they're not farmers, right? He's using the illustration there of a farmer who sows, reaps, gathers into barns, the different stages of being in agriculture, which is how we provide for ourselves, right? You, you sow, you, you reap, you store away, uh, at least in this time period. He said, they're not farmers. They don't do all of that, but they still are fed. Aren't you more important than these birds? Um, if you look at the story in Luke, he uses a different word. He uses ravens, which are unclean birds, to de- provide even more of a contrast you were created in the image of God. These are unclean animals and God takes care of them. Why are you concerned? Won't God take care of you? What are you afraid of? Why are you anxious? Put your trust in God. Now that doesn't mean be lazy, right? And just expect God to drop it in your lap, right? Um, the birds still work. They still seek after food. They still actively pursue those things, but they're not concerned about it. That doesn't master them. That doesn't control them, right? For this reason, because of, follow God or wealth. What is controlling you? What is driving you? Um, and are you trusting in God, all right? Um, other things to point out, yet your fa- heavenly father. So he's emphasizing two things, the divinity of God, like the sovereign creator, all right? He can take care of you. And notice how he's referenced, your father. Right? Fathers take care of kids, right? A good father will do anything for his son. Um, my son's 18 months old. I'll tell you, I'll do anything for him as much as he drives me insane. How much more so would the perfect father, right? God, the creator, um, feed you, take care of you. Um, aren't you worth more than they? Okay. Uh, verse 27, this is a sub point kind of falling off of the life, the, the food, Uh, Verse 27, and who of you being worried can add a single hour to his life? So it's another kind of punchy thing. If you are stressed about where food is coming from, your life, your job, your 
stresses here on earth, is that going to ultimately help you in the long run? Is that going to add any time to your lifespan? Right? And it's referencing back life. No. Okay. Um, ironically, in fact, we kind of know this now. It takes away your life. Worry leads to all kinds of health issues. Okay, so why are you doing this? Why are you stressed about these things, seeking after these material possessions? It's not going to help you live longer. And those things go away. All right, what are you seeking after? What are you following? All right, not a single hour, okay, a very small amount, um, a limited amount of lifespan. You're not going to add to it by... um, worrying over these things. Um, Luke, when in this, referencing this, this passage, the, the parable that comes right before the section on anxiety in the book of Luke is the parable of the rich fools. I'm going to read it to you because um, I think it applies here in, in this verse. This is Luke 12, 13 through 21. Someone in the crowd said to him, Jesus, teacher, tell me, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. But he, Jesus, said to him, man who appointed me a judge or arbitrator over you. And then he said to them, beware and on your guard against every form of greed, for not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions. You can't take it with you. It won't add to your life. And in fact, it takes away all right, from your purpose and what life is really about. And then he told them a parable. This is verse 16 of Luke 12. Uh, The land of a rich man was productive, and he began reasoning to himself, saying, What shall I do, since I have no place to store my crops? Verse 18, then he said, This is what I will do. I will tear down my barns, build larger ones, and store all my grain and goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have many goods laid up for many years to come. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. Verse 20, but God said to him, You fool. This very night, your soul is required of you, and now who will own what you have prepared? So is the man who stores up for himself treasure and not rich towards God. Do those things add any time to your life? Why are you stressed about it? Why are you concerned? Don't be anxious. You're going to store it up. Someone else is going to get to enjoy the riches, all right? Um, Luke will continue after this parable and use the same verses that we're talking about, about the anxiety. If you can't take it with you, stop being concerned. This leads to example number two. So we had opening um, command, right? Don't be anxious. Then we had food and drink, using the illustration of the birds. Now we have clothing, okay? Um, Using the illustration of the lilies of the field. You guys know this section. Uh, Verse 28, and why are you worried about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow. They do not toil, nor do they spin. Yet I say to you that not even Solomon in all of his glory clothed himself like one of these. Verse 30, but if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and thrown into the furnace tomorrow, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Um. So Jesus is now using his second example, clothing, and comparing it yet again to another illustration in nature, something that would have been around them while he's talking, the lilies of the field. And the lilies, they don't toil, right? They don't grow the, you know, cotton or whatever 
to make their clothes, their outer garments. They don't spin it. They don't weave it. They don't dye it. They don't cut it. But they're beautiful, right? And we translated lilies, but it's probably more accurate to say the flowers. So he's referencing all the beauty of the flowers of the field that is seen. Not even Solomon in all of his glory clothed himself like one of these. This is an, uh, a secondary attack on the wealthy because clothing is how we still show our status, right? You know, people are always seeking after certain designer brands. Um, I would name some, but I don't know any. So I, I hope you can think of some illustrations uh, of, of fancy brands that people seek after, just to, cloth that will eventually destroy, right? Moss will eat it. And uh, in the ancient world, especially in Rome, the color of your toga, for instance, got your status. If you were a um, wealthy young man, you'd have a clean, stark white tunic. If you were an equitaste, which is like the middle class, you'd have a small little purple band or some kind of decoration. If you were a senator, you'd have two big bands of purple, which was the hardest dye to find. If you were an emperor, you might have an entire tunic that's painted of rich, expensive dye. And so clothing then, as now, was a way to show status. And so what Jesus is attacking here is like, no matter how you dress, you're still not going to look as beauty as God's creation, right? Go out and look in the fields. That looks way better than anything you could wear, find, any designer items you could buy, okay? And it's all going to pass away because what happens to the flowers? They die. They might get cut down, right? He says the grass, the decoration of the grass, which is thrown into the furnace. Doesn't God care more about you than that? So why are you seeking after those things? Why do you want the latest clothing? Why do you want all of those things? Yet again, it's not necessarily wrong to have nice things, but where your hope is, okay? Who is your master? Are you so stressed about having the latest thing that it causes you anxiety? Then something's wrong, right? Where is your hope? Who are you following? O ye of little faith. God will take care of you. Seek him. Um, don't seek after these things, okay? So we had first opening command. We had the two examples uh, using the illustration first of birds and then clothing. And then he ends reminding them of the command. Verse 31, do not worry then, saying, what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear for clothing? For the Gentiles eagerly, eagerly seek all these things. For your heavenly Father knows what you, that you need all these things. So do not worry. So he says it again. Okay. I don't want you to miss this. Do not worry. All right. What will we eat? What will we drink? So that's that first example, reminding them of the birds. Or what will we wear? Reminding them of the clothing and the lilies. Okay. For the Gentiles, or literally the pagans, the nations, seek after these things. You are God's people. Be different. That's what the godless people seek after. Why are you seeking after those things? Those things don't bring you any value. They don't add to your life. In fact, they suck out your life. It causes anxiety. It's gonna burn away, right? Don't be like the nations. Don't be like our culture. 
which is always seeking status, wealth. I mean, this is a big passage for American culture, isn't it? Right? The American dream, this idea that you are valued by what you wear, the house you have, your job title, does that matter? No, okay? 20 years from now, no one's gonna remember. Why are you seeking after those things? The nations do, don't. Your heavenly father, yet again, notice, heavenly father, the creator, that connection, that relationship to you, your father in heaven knows that you need these things, okay? He knows what you need. He knows what matters, what lasts. He will take care of you, seek him. And so that leads us to our last section. What do we trust in? What do we put our hope in? What will cause? What's, this, what's the solution to anxiety? Uh, verse 33, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Notice that's our key word, kingdom, right? What does it look like to be a citizen of the kingdom as we wait for Christ to return? Well, we seek his kingdom and his righteousness. Seek him don't seek after the latest, coolest, whatever. Don't be stressed about your job, your title, your attire, anything like that. Um, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. God knows what you need. And what do we really need is God, right? Um, verse 34, do not worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will take care of itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. So it kind of ends with a rhetorical thing. You guys are being silly. Why are you adding to the stress? Life is hard enough. Don't add to it seeking the wrong things. Uh, key yet again is focus. Are you focused on God? Are you focused on him, seeking his kingdom, his righteousness? Are you seeking your own kingdom, your own uh, attire, your own wealth, your own house, all those kind of things, the worries of the world? Or is your focus on God? Who is your master? Remember, for this reason, you can only serve one, God or wealth. Which one are you serving? Which one are you seeking? Which one are you seeking? Um. There's wordplay here, but seek first. It's similar to striving, okay, that's seen earlier in verse 32. So striving for worldly gain, seeking after God, and he's yet again showing that contrast. Which one are you following? Which one are you seeking? Are you striving for worldly gain, which will end in nothing? Or are you seeking after God, his kingdom, and his righteousness? Okay, um, Clement of Alexander, uh, writing in the late second century, quoting this, this last little part uh, of Matthew 6, 34, uh, says this, Christ has proclaimed this utterance, bidding them, the people, to dismiss anxious care of the things of the world and exhorting them to adhere to the Father alone as an imitation of children. And I like that picture, Okay kids, are they really that anxious or do they trust their parents to take care of them in an ideal situation, right? So that's how we're to be. Notice that's the title he uses over and over again. Heavenly Father, Heavenly Father, Heavenly Father. Children, are you trusting your father like kids trust their parents? 
Are you building up your own kingdom? Are you anxious about losing things? Are you concerned about your job or whatever? Okay, are you seeking them in imitation of children, following God? Thus he, Christ, enjoins them to lay aside the cares of this life and depend on the Father alone. And he who fulfills this commandment is in reality a child and a son to God. I love that insight from the early church. Are you like a child following the Father and trusting him? Or are you trusting in things of this world, your own abilities, your own kingdom? There's a stark contrast. So in conclusion, three Three kind of ideas uh, I'm going to throw out there uh, for application, for thoughts. Uh, number one, God must be first in our lives. He is our master. You can only seek one. So first off, put him first. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. We must leave everything to follow him. And yet again, that doesn't mean you can't have a nice house. You can't have some wealth. But is it controlling you or is God your master? Okay, it's the heart, it's the motivation. What are you seeking? What are you um, showing? Okay, a negative example of this would be the rich young ruler, right? Who follows the law, wants the kingdom, but one thing is holding him back. We talked about this last week and that's his wealth. Jesus says, go sell all your possessions and he walks away grieved. He is not willing to make God first and leave everything to follow him. Um, a positive example. So Philippians 3, 7 through 8. Philippians 3, 7 through 8. But whatever things were gained to me, this is Paul speaking, these things I've counted a loss for the sake of Christ. Verse 8, more than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them rubbish so that I may gain Christ. That's the attitude we should have, okay? It's okay to have things, but your attitude toward them should be they are rubbish. They are counted a loss in pursuit of Christ. What have you put first, God or wealth? Uh, Second point, God knows our needs and cares for his people. We saw that several times through here. We saw that in Joshua, promises to give them the promised land. Um, And we see that in other places in scripture. Uh, Do not fear for I'm with you. Do not anxiously look about you for I am your God and I will strengthen you. Surely I will help you. Surely I will hold you in my righteous right hand. God knows what you need and he will provide. Now, does that mean like life is just super easy and everything comes easy? Not at all, because Christ also warns us about our persecution, about hardness. It's a fallen world. The kingdom hasn't come in its completion. That will happen when Christ returns and there's a new heaven and a new earth. That's what we're hoping for, all right? Um, But are we seeking God in the midst of this? And we can see this now, right? Our Ukrainian brothers suffering under the invasion of Russia. We have other brothers in the Middle East that are being persecuted for their faith. Okay, so that doesn't mean things will be easy but we can trust and hope in God, right? It's a momentary affliction. Um, and then finally, anxiety stems from where we put our hope. Uh, Philippians 4, 6 through 7, be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. What's the solution for anxiety? 
God. What are you putting your hope in? If you put it in people, goods, wealth, anything of this earth, it's going to fail you. You put it in God, you can trust the bank, right? Um, now, I will say caveat here. I mean, there's, there's um, physical anxiety. There's other things that can make complications. It's a struggle for all of us, okay? But the solution ultimately is God. All right, what are we putting our hope in? What are we seeking? Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, uh, like we saw in this passage. Um, to conclude, last week we looked at a painting. I thought we would look at the companion painting. Okay, so this is the painting from last week that we talked about, the calling of St. Matthew, where the artist captures that tension of Matthew's decision. Is he going to stay at the table where the money is or follow the master? Okay. Is he going to follow God or money and wealth? And so there's this moment of we don't know his decision. What are you going to do? And the artist is kind of calling you into the question. What are you going to do? Are you going to follow God or wealth? Okay. And we see some of the characters, just a reminder from last time, some of the characters, even though Jesus is in the room, don't even look up from the money. We know their decision. The God has walked into the building and they don't even bother to look up. All right, so what are you gonna do? Follow God or money? Um, this is part of a three-panel series in a chapel in Rome. And so I wanna look at the picture that's across from it, um, which I think pertains to what we're talking about in this passage. So uh, go ahead and skip one more slide. That's the full thing. Okay, so this is the martyrdom of Matthew. So we have the calling of Matthew and this tension, who's he going to follow? And then we have the martyrdom of Matthew, and it records a early tradition of how Matthew died. Okay, I'm not putting too much stock in this, but the story was supposedly he was killed while performing a church service uh, by a soldier who came up and ran him through with a sword. And so this captures that moment right before his death, okay? Um, and the chapel would have been very dark. And so the artist is using very bright colors to draw your attention to certain items. Um, the first thing you are drawn to is probably this guy in the center. That's the assassin. That's the soldier that's coming to kill Matthew, who has this look of determination on his face and is prepared to commit the act. And so everything kind of draws there. Uh, the other thing that your eye is drawn to is Matthew on the ground. He's been shoved over. And the whole kind of design of the painting is to pull your attention to the face of Matthew. Notice the soldiers reaching down, his arm is pointing to the face of Matthew. Um, the body of Matthew, his legs that are in bright white, right, are pointing towards his face. Uh, and I'll talk about his expression because I think Matthew has figured out this secret that we're talking about. Um, the other characters, they're all um, in look of shock and disbelief. There's horror on their faces. They are panicked about what's going on. Uh, but the face of Matthew, as everything points to it, is calm and serene. He is not concerned about what's going on. The guy has the sword. He's ready to stab him. Matthew is facing death, but he has complete serenity in this moment. Why? Because he's figured out the secret. What does it mean not to be anxious? It's to focus on God. So instead, he is looking up, not at his assassin, not at the crowd, not at the world, but looking up at the angel in the top 
part of the picture. You may not can see it clearly, but there's an angel reaching down. He's looking up into heaven. He knows what's coming. He knows what's important, and he is calm and facing his death. If you have your focus on God, you don't have to be anxious for anything, even in the face of death, right? Matthew knows it's coming. And so the artist wants you to see, are, are you going to face life like Matthew did after his decision to follow Christ? Or are you going to be controlled by anxiety, wealth, things of this world, okay? And a last little kind of cool thing, you can't really see it in the painting, but in the top left, there's actually the artist has painted himself into the painting. And he's looking on, trying to understand, can I face death like that as well? And so Caravaggio in this painting is, is, is doing a challenge for us. Are you gonna face life and death trusting in God? Or are you gonna be concerned about the things of the world? What are you gonna do? So... Uh, let me pray for us, and then the band will come up, and, and we'll close out. Um, and just a, a couple quick reminders. Uh, a couple of our staff members are uh, currently traveling in Eastern Europe, uh, looking at opportunities to serve some of the churches in Ukraine and Romania and other places. So please be praying for them. Um, there's a couple of us that are leaving for a trip to Argentina to work with some of our partners down there as we train pastors and different things like that. So there's lots of exciting things happening. Um, so please be praying. I'm gonna lead us in prayer and then I'll call Joel back up. Uh, Lord, just thank you for this, this text and this reminder that our hope ultimately is not in anything we do, anything we own, anything on this earth, but our hope is in you, Lord. That because of your sacrifice, because of Jesus coming and dying for us, Lord, we are now your sons and daughters and that we can trust you to provide. And Lord, I just pray that we keep, our, um, keep you as the center of attention, our focus, that we seek first your kingdom and your righteousness, Lord, and that we're always in pursuit of you and the kingdom. Just protect us as we leave this place and help us to continue to be a salt and a light as we go about at work and among our family and in, uh, just around the town, Lord, that we can also lead others um, to you and show them the direction of where true rest uh, can be found. Lord, just thank you for tonight and just thank you for everyone who is here in your name.